Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is America, land of the free, home of the brave. This is America, not just a country, but an idea. This is America, a grand experiment, the land of opportunity. This is America, one flag, one land, one nation. This is America. In the midst of chaos, she finds her purpose. Eight minutes and 46 seconds might well redefine an entire generation, a generation that finally had enough. The murder of 46-year-old Houston native George Floyd on a South Minneapolis street, three police officers kneeling atop his crumpled and handcuffed body, one of them MPD officer Derek Chauvin, delicately balancing all 200 pounds of his body weight precariously on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. The graphic images of Floyd's murder have traveled around the world thanks to quick-thinking 17-year-old high school student Darnella Frazier. But this is just one story, among literally thousands, of black men ultimately suffering death at the hands of police. But George Floyd's story is different because unlike human beings who lie, cheat, and steal all in a single breath, no matter the profession, no matter the uniform, the video of George Floyd's death has confronted every single one of us with a brutal, undeniable truth that to many Americans, black lives simply do not matter. And perhaps more alarmingly, neither do black deaths at the hands of police. George Perry Floyd, often referred to as a gentle giant with a quiet, reserved personality by close friends and family, stands a muscular six feet six inches tall. He usually works security Tuesday nights at Minneapolis's El Nuevo Rodeo nightclub, the self-proclaimed Mexican music epicenter of the city. But he had recently been laid off due to mass COVID-19 restaurant and bar closures. Floyd also bounced at another conga Latin club, but was out of work there as well due to the pandemic. His calm demeanor and larger-than-life presence made for easy de-escalation anytime things got out of control inside one of the clubs. He enjoyed working security and taking care of folks who came out to have a good time. Originally born in North Carolina, Floyd grew up in Houston, Texas, but after venturing down the wrong path after high school, he got involved in drugs and eventually crime. His early arrests ranged from possession of a controlled substance and theft to criminal trespassing. But as George Floyd's struggles with drug use intensified, so too did the severity of his crimes. In 2007, Floyd participated in an aggravated robbery, where he and five other men forced their way into a woman's home after one of them posed as a local utility worker. According to the report, Floyd held a gun to the woman's stomach while searching for drugs and money inside of her home. He was eventually apprehended and sentenced to five years in prison in 2009. After quietly serving out his time and reflecting on a life of drug use and escalating criminal behavior, Floyd was released in 2014, and looking for a change of scenery and to finally get back on the right path, he decided to move to Minneapolis, Minnesota to start a new life, to find a job, and to get clean. Seeing other black youth following in his footsteps, resorting to a life of drug and gun violence, George Floyd recorded a heartfelt message to young black men everywhere eventually posting it online after hearing that a close friend of his had recently lost her child to gun violence. Just saw my own girl Nikki from South Lawn lost her son, man. Our young generation is clearly lost, man. Clearly lost, man. Like, like, I don't even know what to say no more, man. Like, you youngsters just going around, just busting guns, in crowds, kids getting killed, you know, and it's clearly the generation after us, man, that's so lost, man. You know, man, I came back to Houston and the told me, yeah, Floyd, that young 
the truth, man, right there, because he could bust a gun. Man, I knew it was crazy then. My age saying this here, man. You know what I'm saying? And condoning this shit, bro. You know what I'm saying? And like half them young shooting them guns go home and they knees shaking at night. But they don't show it to nobody because, you know, they ain't tough then. Hey, man. Come on home, man. One day it's going to be you and God. You going up or you going down. The man who finally turned his life around, who thought he left his criminal past in the rearview mirror, had just two additional encounters with Minnesota police after he got out of prison in Texas. In 2017 and 2018, he was pulled over twice. Each time, he failed to produce a valid driver's license and received a misdemeanor probation violation and a $75 fine for each interaction with police. Still, having turned the corner, leaving his violent criminal past behind him, and for the first time in his life finding hope again, Floyd felt compelled to put out a message to other black youth on the path towards violence. He was essentially speaking directly to his younger self, having no idea that his life too would soon end. Not by gun violence within the community, but by the very people who swore an oath to protect and serve. Monday, May 25th, 2020. Minneapolis Memorial Day celebrations have all been canceled or are now offered virtually, as the state is still largely shut down due to the global COVID-19 pandemic. As the sun begins to set and the early evening twilight sinks in, 46-year-old George Floyd and two friends, 42-year-old Maurice Lester Hall and another unidentified woman, pull up to the Cup Foods convenience store on the corner of East 38th Street and Chicago Avenue in South Minneapolis. Floyd and Hall have known each other since 2016 after a pastor introduced them to one another. The two naturally became fast friends, both sharing ties to Houston and a desire to lead a path towards a better life. Floyd became a mentor of sorts to Hall, who was four years his junior. At approximately 7.50 Monday evening, Floyd enters the store and purchases a pack of cigarettes. He then heads back outside and gets into a waiting blue SUV. At 7.57 p.m., Surveillance video from the nearby Dragon Walk restaurant shows two Cup Foods employees confront George in his vehicle. After running the $20 bill that he used to buy the cigarettes through a cash machine, it was flagged as potentially counterfeit. So, believing he had just tried to pass off a fake bill in exchange for the goods, they demanded he return them. But Floyd refused, and not wanting to escalate the situation any further, the two Cup Foods employees head back inside the store. But Floyd isn't a stranger to the staff, they recognize him. He's a regular customer that comes in at least once a week to pay his phone bill. Most of the staff at Cup Foods know George as a friendly, caring, and jovial man. But according to store owner Mahmoud Abumayale, a newer, inexperienced employee called 911 to report the incident to police, something he insists is almost never done in the instance of potentially counterfeit money coming into the store, though early on he called it standard store policy. We don't just work in that community. That is our community. We know the community. It's a vibe that is unmatched to any other community. It's the best thing that's happened to our family. I was, I was not there. You were not there. The staff that called the police followed protocol. When he identified the bill was fake, the patron was out of the establishment. When the police arrived, he was outside of the establishment, which normally never takes place. Why he was still there, we're not sure. Most of the time when patrons give us a counterfeit bill, they don't even know it's fake. So when the police are called, there's no crime being committed. They just want to know where they got it from. And that's usually what takes place. This was a very circumstantial event that ended in a tragedy. And unfortunately, we're taking a lot of animosity for it. Store owner Abu Mayali would later claim that Hall first presented the cashier with a counterfeit $20 bill and that it was immediately recognized and declined for payment. But that Floyd then re-entered the store about 10 minutes later and presented the worker with another $20 bill the one they didn't flag as potentially counterfeit until running it through the cash machine after the group had left. The Cup Foods employee who eventually phoned 911 to report that counterfeit money and alerted to police that the man responsible was still sitting outside in his vehicle seemed to have been struggling with a language barrier when reporting the details of the alleged crime. The following reenactment is from the actual 911 transcript that was later released by the Minneapolis Police Department. 911, what's the address of the emergency? 
This is, uh, 3759 Chicago Ave. How can I help you? Uh, someone comes our store and gives us fake bills, and we realize it before he left the store. And we ran back outside, they were sitting on their car. Uh, we tell them, give us their phone, uh, put their thing back and everything. So he was also drunk and everything, and returned to give us our cigarettes back. And so he can, uh, so he can go home, but he doesn't want to do that. And he's sitting on his car, because he's awfully drunk and he's not in control of himself. Okay, what type of vehicle does he have? And um, he's, he's got a vehicle that is, uh, one second, let me see if I can see the license. The driver license is BRJ026. Okay, what color is it? It's a blue color, uh, it's a blue van. Blue van? Yes, van. All right, blue van, gotcha. Is it out front or is it on 38th Street? Uh, it's on 38th Street. On 38th Street. So this guy gave a counterfeit bill, has your cigarettes, and he's under the influence of something? Something like that, yes. He, he's not acting right. What's he look like? What race? Um, he, he's a tall guy. He, he's like tall and bald. About like six, six and a half. And she's not acting right, so... And she started to go drive the car. Okay, so female or male? Um... Is it a girl or a boy? He's asking... One second. Hello? Is it a girl or a boy that did this? It is a man. Okay, is he white, black, native, Hispanic, Asian? Something like that. Which one? White, black, native, Hispanic, Asian? No, he, he's a black guy. Alright. How's your day going? Not too bad. Had a long day, huh? What's your name? Uh, my name is... Alright, a phone number for you? Alright, I've got help on the way. If that vehicle or person leaves before we get there, just give us a call back. Otherwise, we'll have squads out there shortly, okay? No problem. Thank you. The first officers on scene pull up at 8.08 p.m fully expecting a disorderly man who was, quote, awfully drunk and not in control of himself, as was communicated on the 911 call. Minneapolis police officers J. Alexander King and Thomas Lane immediately encounter George Floyd, still sitting in the parked blue Mercedes SUV directly across the street from the Cup Food store. He is with two others. Officer Lane approaches Floyd in the driver's seat and after a brief exchange, draws his gun on the 46-year-old man demanding he place his hands on the steering wheel where he can see them. Floyd complies, and Officer Lane briefly reholsters his weapon. About a minute and a half go by before Floyd's door is opened, and Officer Lane aggressively grabs him by the wrist, attempting to pull him out of the vehicle and handcuff him. The brief struggle is captured by another motorist in a black SUV that happened to be parked directly behind Floyd's vehicle at the time. There appears to be a brief struggle, So Officer King hurries around the back of the SUV to assist his partner at the driver's side door and securing George Floyd in handcuffs. After securing his hands behind his back, Officer King walks Floyd up onto the sidewalk and sits him down with his back to the wall, directly in front of the Dragon Walk restaurant. Floyd is reportedly thankful and still calmly responding to officers while seated on the sidewalk. But his demeanor doesn't match the drunken unruly subject the Cup Food staff member phoned in to police. After about six minutes of initial questioning, officers Lane and King calmly walk George Floyd, still handcuffed behind the back, across the street to their Ford Explorer patrol unit, parked on the corner near the front entryway of the Cup Food store. As they reach forward to open the rear doors, Floyd's body suddenly stiffens and he falls to the ground. According to early criminal complaints, Floyd explains to officers Lane and King that he is not resisting but that he's claustrophobic and refuses to enter the back seat of the patrol vehicle. So they stand him up anyways and attempt to force him into the back seat. All the while, he can be seen on the Dragon Walk surveillance camera attempting to turn his head around to calmly address the officers. It's at this point that George Floyd first allegedly calls out that he can't breathe. Moments later at 8.17pm, another Minneapolis patrol unit arrives on scene. Officers Derek Chauvin and Tu Tao pull up, while Officer King continues struggling to force George Floyd 
into the back seat of the patrol vehicle. Officer Tao takes up a position of support at the rear driver's side door behind King, and Chauvin goes around to the rear passenger side door. Officer Chauvin can be seen on the surveillance video, grabbing Floyd and pulling him all the way through the patrol vehicle and out the other side, forcing him down onto the ground there in the street. Officers Lane, King, and Chauvin simultaneously drop to their knees on top of Floyd, who now lays belly down on the pavement in the prone position, both of his hands firmly cuffed behind his back, his head turned flatly to the right. Officer King kneels down and applies pressure on Floyd's back, while Officer Lane kneels down on his legs to hold him in place. Meanwhile, Officer Derek Chauvin takes a knee directly on George Floyd's turned neck, setting into motion a series of events over the next 8 minutes and 46 seconds that will forever change the nature of race relations across the entire country. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job and we have to find out who did they kill? If it's possible, how are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's also precisely at 8.19 p.m. that two witnesses begin filming George Floyd's arrest on scene. The first witness approaches the officers from across the street, behind the patrol unit. It's the now infamous view that shows three officers all kneeling down on top of George Floyd who for the first time can be heard groaning aloud, while Officer Tu Tao approaches, keeping lookout. Preparing for Floyd's inevitable arrest, Officer Tao has retrieved a rip-hobble restraint, a device that allows police to control a suspect's movement by binding their feet behind their back to their hands, effectively restricting a resisting individual's propensity to harm responding officers. But George Floyd is not actively resisting, and at 8.20 p.m., he can be heard crying aloud, I can't breathe. It's in that instant, that singular brief moment in time, for reasons we may never fully understand, that the three officers kneeling atop George Floyd decline using the hobble restraint Officer Tao has brought them. As the witness walks nearer to the scene, Officer Lane leans back and directs them to move away, to back up onto the sidewalk on either side of the street for their own safety. The witness then retreats and stops filming. It's at this time, according to early reports, that one of the officers exclaims aloud, You're talking just fine, as Floyd continues gasping aloud for help and for water in between bated breaths. Realizing that the man now writhing beneath their knees is likely in need of medical support, the officers radio in a Code 2 non-emergency request for assistance, after noticing Floyd is now bleeding from the mouth. But within less than 60 seconds, at 8.21 p.m., The officers upgrade the call to a Code 3, requesting emergency medical assistance, the belief that they are now fully aware that his condition is rapidly deteriorating beneath them. Moments after that call is radioed in, 17-year-old high school student Darnella Frazier begins filming Floyd's arrest on her cell phone camera from the north side of the Cup Foods, directly behind the patrol unit that police now have George Floyd pinned next to. Front and center in the frame is the most senior law enforcement official on the scene, Officer Derek Chauvin, and he's balancing precariously atop George Floyd's neck, his left knee, digging dangerously deep into the area of his carotid artery. Trying to hear about it. So you breathe, look at my neck, man. Uh, 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 u
Uh, uh, when my homie died, you uh, 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 Get up, get in the car. Mama. Get up, we get Mama. in the car right. I can't. You can't get y'all an opportunity to get in, bro. I told you, you can't win. My knee. You can't My win, neck. man. I'm through. I know you never, you didn't listen. Uh. One onlooker pleads with Floyd to give up and to get in the back of the Minneapolis police patrol vehicle. In between strained breaths, he agrees to give up, but none of the officers are moving. Officer Derek Chauvin appears to be calmly resting his fisted hands upon his thighs, his black tactical gloves giving the appearance that he is calmly resting his hands in his trouser pockets. But if you look closely at the video, there is a very practical reason why Officer Chauvin is resting his hands on his own thighs in this way. He is balancing nearly all 200 pounds of his body weight directly into George Floyd's neck, applying as much pressure as humanly possible without bracing himself on the police vehicle or the ground. He even minimizes contact with the pavement by balancing atop the very tips of his black tactical police shoes. The alarmed bystanders quickly realize the gravity of the situation and that George Floyd is rapidly running out of time. Just fool me. Just? My stomach hurts. Uh-huh. My neck hurts. Uh-huh. Everything hurts. Ah. There's water or something. Please. Please. Uh, I can't breathe, officer. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me, man. Uh, uh, Bro, with your feet on his neck, man, you get off the ground. His man. nose is bleeding. Like, yeah, come that's, on that's now. That's wrong right there with his feet on uh, his neck. Look at his man. nose. Bro, you can see your knee on his neck. Yeah, you got your feet right on his neck, officer. Uh, he ain't even resisting the rest. I cannot breathe. You're just a grown guy. Oh, you're, you're, you're a tough guy. You're a tough guy, huh? I see you're a tough guy. He's not even resisting the rest, bro. His whole nose is a little bit. with him? Bro, so why you just sitting there? He ain't doing nothing. Right now. put him in the car. Don't kill me. How long y'all got to hold him down? Why don't you do drugs, kids? It ain't about drugs, bro. Y'all understand that? Y'all don't got to put y'all in there, bro. Right. Uh, he is human, bro. Uh, he's his nose is bleeding. Uh, you can put him in the car. Uh, That's some we bum tried ass that shit. for 10 minutes. That's some bum ass shit, bro. That's some bum ass shit, bro. Y'all know that. You don't got to sit there with your knee on his uh, neck, bro. Bro, he ain't crying, bro. You, you circle it. Like, in a jiu-jitsu move, bro, you tra- you're trapped in his breathing right there, bro. Like, you don't think that what it is, bro? You don't think nobody understands that shit right there, bro? I train at the academy, bro. That's some bullshit, bro. Right, that's bullshit, bro. That's bullshit, bro. You, you fucking stopping his breathing right there, bro. Okay, he's talking. He's talking. Bro, but you could get him off the ground. You've been a bum right now. You could get him off the ground, bro. You could get him off the ground. You've been a bum right now. He enjoying that. He enjoying that shit. He enjoying that shit. He a fucking bum, bro. He enjoying that shit right now, bro. You could have fucking put him in the car by now, bro. He's not resisting arrest or nothing. You enjoying it. Look at you. Your body language explains it. You fucking bum. Bro, get the fuck off of him. It's the whites. They love what? him. No, I already know that, bro. I train with half of these bum ass dudes at the academy, bro. You know that's bogus right now, bro. You know it's bogus. You can't even look at me like a man because you a bum, bro. He's not even resisting arrest right now, bro. His nose is bleeding. You fucking stopping his breathing right now, bro. You think that's cool? You think that's, that's cool, really though, not. right? What's your, right. what's your, oh, what, oh, man, what's your badge number, bro? You think Honestly. that's cool right now, bro? As the growing crowd of witnesses begins moving off the curb and towards the officers, continually pleading with them to get off of George Floyd's neck, Officer Tu Tao aggressively places himself in the way, demanding they all get back, while Officer Chauvin, knee still firmly pressed into the side of George Floyd's neck, looks down and away from the growing crowd, as if not to further incite their anger. Over the next seven agonizing minutes, George Floyd calls out an astounding 14 separate times that he cannot breathe. At one point near 8.24 p.m., Officer Lane asked the other two officers kneeling atop Floyd if they should move him onto his side, presumably so that he can breathe. 
but early criminal complaints allege that Derek Chauvin, whose knee is still pressing deeply into George Floyd's neck, explains that no, they were not going to move him. They're going to keep him right there where they, quote, got him. Floyd's movements gradually begin slowing as he stops calling out for help altogether and eventually loses consciousness at 825. The now-growing crowd of witnesses look on in horror as they plead to the officers to get off of George Floyd's neck. Another woman approaches from the right side of the frame, filming as well, explaining that she's a Minneapolis firefighter. She too pleads with the officers to get off and for Tu Tau to check George Floyd's pulse as he fades from consciousness. As the crowd grows increasingly agitated, they again attempt to move in closer to George Floyd on the street to intervene, to get at least one of the officers to check Floyd's pulse, even calling them out by name and badge number. But Officer Tao again aggressively directs the crowd back up onto the sidewalk. Seeing the potential backlash escalating out of the corner of his eye, Officer Derek Chauvin reaches for the chemical irritant spray on his duty belt, shaking the can wildly in a shocking display of dominance. Look at him. Bro. Get off of him now! What is wrong with y'all? What the fuck? He got mace. He got mace. He cannot breathe. Get over here. No, first of all. Look at him. He's not responsive right now. He's not responsive right now, bro. No, bro, look at him. He's check, not responsive right yeah, now, bro. Check for a pulse. Bro, are you serious? You're going to just let him keep here with that on let his neck, Let me see a pulse. Is he breathing right now? Check his pulse. have this conversation? Check his pulse. Check his pulse, Tao. Tao, check his pulse. Tao, check his pulse, bro. Bro, check his pulse, bro. You bogus, bro. You bogus. Don't do drugs, bro. What is that? What do you think that is? You so you call what he doing okay? Get back on the call what he doing okay. You call, you call what you do, you call what he doing okay, bro. Are you really a firefighter? Yes, I am from Minneapolis. Bro, you, 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 you call, you think that's okay? Check his pulse. Check his right now. check his pulse. Get back in the Check, the man ain't moved yet, bro. The man ain't moved yet, bro. Okay. Bro, okay. you're a bum, bro. Okay. You're a bum, bro. You're Check definitely right a bum, now. bro. Tell me what his pulse is right now. Check the pulse. Bro, he has not moved, not one he's time. He's off. Bro. He's off cracker right now. He's but yeah, bro, go deep. back in the store, bro. You don't understand. No, no, no. Bro. I'm the reason. Under, okay, that's cool. Go back in the store, bro. Go back in the store, bro. He's not fucking I moving. That. I see that. Bro, I'm, bro. I'm trying to help y'all out. Bro, you don't need to help What's me out, bro. I know your parents. I know everybody that owns the store. You don't need to help me to fuck out, bro. He's not fucking moving right now, bro. I just saw that, man. Bro, he was just moving I, when I walked up here. And I know, and then that he, he they, bro, they did that to you him. Just got out, you just got back out here, bro. I've been watching it the bro, whole time. You just got back out here, bro. Bro, he doesn't have a bro. He's not fucking moving. No, did they fucking kill him, bro? Bro, bro, what is you, 1087, bro? You're a bum, bro. Or 987, bro? You're a bum. First thing you want to grab is your mace because you scared, bro. Scared of fucking minorities, you fucking bum, bro. Like, bro, three minutes, bro. He's not fucking moving. Bro, he's not even fucking moving. Get off of his fucking neck, bro. Get off of his neck. Yes, look at that, bro. Are you serious, bro? Are you serious? And you gonna keep your, you gonna keep, you gonna keep your, your thing on your neck? Yeah, bitch. Bro, it's, bro, I barely touched me like that, dude. I swear I saw the fuck out of both y'all. I didn't want to call the ambulance. Bro, you just gonna let him keep his hand on his neck, bro? You're a bitch, bro. Tao, you gonna keep? You gonna let him keep that like that? You gonna let him kill that man in front of you, bro? Huh? Huh? Bro, he's not even fucking moving right now, bro. He's not even fucking moving. Bro, bro, they're not gonna help us, bro. Right? He black. They don't care. Nine eighty-seven years. Hey people, they don't care, bro. You gonna just sit there with your knee on his neck, bro? You a bro? You a bro? You a real man for that, bro? He ain't handcuffed, bro. Just a real man, bro. He a real man, bro. I trained with these guys, bro. The fact that you guys aren't checking his pulse and doing compressions if he needs that, you guys are on another level. Oh my god, bro. Okay, they just dragging him like, come on now. It don't matter. So what? Freedom of speech, bro. Freedom of speech, bro.
At 8.26 p.m., Officer Lane again yells out, Should we turn him on his side? Officer King quietly reaches down at the request of the increasingly aggressive crowd and briefly checks for a pulse on the now unresponsive 46-year-old man laying still beneath his knee. Nothing. And yet, for two minutes and 53 seconds after George Floyd took his last desperate gasp for air, his eyes gaping wildly, the blood freely flowing from his mouth and nose, the officers continue kneeling atop him. Officer Derek Chauvin leans in, pressing his knee even deeper into Floyd's neck, the bony mass of cartilage and muscle tissue likely by now numb from the extended balancing act. And like a deer in the headlights, Derek Chauvin is frozen, his knee no longer an extension of his body, but a deadly weapon, restricting vital blood flow and oxygen to Floyd's now starving brain and vital organs. EMS finally arrives on the scene, yet Officer Chauvin continues kneeling atop George Floyd's neck for another 60 seconds, his gentle, jovial soul drifting further away from his body, from this chaotic scene, drifting further away from the corner of East 38th Street and Chicago Avenue. But Officer Chauvin continues kneeling until a uniformed paramedic signals him to get off at 827 before they crudely load his still handcuffed and limp body onto a stretcher and into a waiting ambulance. For 8 minutes and 46 seconds, Officer Derek Chauvin from the Minneapolis Police Department, badge number 1087, took a knee directly on George Floyd's neck. For 8 minutes and 46 seconds, he patiently watched as the life slowly trickled out of George Floyd's body beneath the force of his entire body weight. For 8 minutes and 46 seconds, Derek Chauvin ignored the urgent pleas of those around him and even twice the recommendations from his fellow, less senior officers. For 8 minutes and 46 seconds, Derek Chauvin persisted until he killed George Floyd. 8 minutes and 46 seconds. That's nearly five full renditions of the Star-Spangled Banner, the national anthem of the United States of America, played before most major sporting events across the entire country. For five full renditions, Derek Chauvin's knee became the crux upon which an entire nation kneeling in quiet, peaceful protest had finally had enough. After arriving and realizing the gravity of the situation and that a man's life is within seconds of being forever lost, the EMTs radio for additional fire medical support, but there's no time to wait on scene. As the ambulance races towards the Hennepin County Medical Center, just over three miles away, the team only makes it two blocks north and one block west to the corner of Park and 36th when George Floyd's condition suddenly deteriorates into full cardiac arrest, his heart no longer beating. As paramedics continue racing to save his life, the vital fire medical support they radioed for arrives on scene at the Cup Foods at 8.32 p.m. And according to their written reports, the four remaining officers on the scene, three of whom until just moments before knelt atop George Floyd's limp, handcuffed body, gave them, quote, no clear info on Floyd or his whereabouts, likely further delaying their ability to assist EMTs in their desperate fight to save Floyd's life. It took the fire engine another five full minutes before they connected with the ambulance and the line of paramedics now rotating through chest compressions. After nearly one full hour at 9.25 Monday evening, George Floyd was pronounced dead at the Hennepin County Medical Center. At 2.26 a.m. the following morning on Tuesday, 17-year-old high school student Arnello Frazier posts the video of George Floyd's death at the hands and knees of the Minneapolis Police Department officers to Facebook. And within minutes, it goes viral, not only in the state of Minnesota, but across the entire nation and eventually the entire world. Before the sun has even fully risen on the next day, people are already taking to the streets to peacefully protest George Floyd's brutal killing. Minneapolis Police Chief Madario Arredondo is awake and monitoring the situation through the night. By Tuesday afternoon, he joins the growing mass of peaceful protesters gathering in front of Minneapolis's 3rd Precinct, the very police station the four officers in question operate out of. He stands in front of a sole microphone surrounded by outraged residents of Minneapolis, his sky-blue uniform crisply pressed, while he facelessly addresses the public from behind a blue medical mask. This situation and tragedy last night, I've been um, obviously up all night 
and reviewing the information that I have to make the decision that I'm standing before you today with many of the community leaders behind me. Before involved, former employees, former employees. I've made that decision this afternoon. Uh, this is still an ongoing criminal matter that the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension is investigating, as well as our FBI. And so, all of our actions, they have an impact, and they certainly can have a consequence. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry also addressed the crowd, expressing his full support of Chief Arredondo's decision to fire all four police officers involved. Those protesting are surprised by how quickly Chief Arredondo acts to terminate the officers. But what the public doesn't yet know, as outraged and upset as they are, is that Chief Arredondo ultimately decided to terminate the four officers involved, not because he was outraged by Darnella Frazier's now viral video, but because after viewing the arrest reports written by those four officers involved, he noticed something. A discrepancy in the preliminary information that was presented to leadership, which referenced Floyd suffering a quote, medical incident after he allegedly physically resisted the officers attempting to arrest him. Language that was ultimately replicated in an official press release issued by the Minneapolis Police Department at 12.41 a.m. Tuesday morning. Preliminary reports that made no mention of Officer Derek Chauvin using his knee to pin down Floyd. The knee that he kept pinned deeply in George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds in what the department refers to via policy as an unconscious neck restraint. This type of neck restraint is defined as, quote, a non-deadly force option, defined as compressing one or both sides of a person's neck with an arm or leg, without applying direct pressure to the trachea or airway, front of the neck. The policy further reads, the unconscious neck restraint shall only be applied in the following circumstances, on a subject who is exhibiting active aggression, or for life-saving purposes, or on a subject who is exhibiting active resistance in order to gain control of the subject, and if lesser attempts at control have been or would likely be ineffective. Neck restraint shall not be used against subjects who are passively resisting as defined by policy. Though the Minneapolis Police Department was one of the few in the nation still permitting officers to use both conscious and unconscious neck restraints in the line of duty, officials were quick to explain that a knee to the neck was, quote, neither taught nor sanctioned by the Minneapolis Police Department. MPD Policy 5-311, Use of Neck Restraints and Chokeholds, hadn't been updated since April 16th of 2012, remaining unchanged for over eight years until George Floyd's murder. Though much is still to be learned in this case, including the lasting social, political, and economic ramifications of those agonizing eight minutes and 46 seconds, we return and stick to the facts. George Floyd, according to early criminal complaints, witness testimony, body cam footage released by the MPD, and Darnella Frazier's cell phone video, was not actively resisting arrest. And the use of an aggressive, quote, neck restraint, rendering him unconscious, was a flagrant violation of the police department's policy on such permissible uses of force. Further, the department policy clearly outlines what they call aftercare guidelines, anytime a suspect is rendered unconscious through the use of a neck restraint or chokehold. One of the required aftercare criteria reads, An officer who has used a neck restraint or chokehold shall inform individuals accepting custody of the subject that the technique was used on the subject. Not only did the four officers on scene during George Floyd's attempted arrest neglect to appropriately inform or guide the responding fire medic team to Floyd's condition or location, it's alleged that the preliminary information provided to leadership after Floyd's attempted arrest was written in a way to portray the 46-year-old as having actively and, quote, physically resisted the officers attempting to detain him, an internal omission demonstrating enough presumed negligence and willful deceit that Chief Arredondo requested the FBI become involved at just after 3 a.m. Tuesday morning after having been made aware of Darnella Frazier's video. He then acted swiftly and without hesitation, terminating all four officers involved less than 24 hours later, that very afternoon. In a series of expedited reviews and joint investigations led by the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Minnesota Attorney General's Office, who took leadership over the case after Minnesota Governor Tim Walz relieved Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman from the responsibility, charges were finally announced. 
Officer Derek Chauvin was finally arrested on Friday, May 29th, after quiet plea deal negotiations with the Hennepin County District Attorney's Office failed. He was initially charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter, but the charges were eventually upgraded to second-degree murder without intent and second-degree manslaughter. He is being held on a $1.25 million bail with conditions and remains isolated in protective custody at the Minnesota State Correctional Facility at Oak Park Heights, the state's highest security prison. Early reports indicated that Chauvin also worked part-time security at the same nightclub as George Floyd, and many have speculated that Chauvin had developed some type of grudge against Floyd, though the details remain primarily speculative at this time. It was also eventually revealed through public records requests that former MPD officer Derek Chauvin had amassed in his 19 years on the job with the Minneapolis PD some 18 complaints ranging from allegations of excessive use of force to misconduct. All told, 16 of the 18 complaints were dismissed or closed by the department without discipline. Chauvin also participated in at least three officer-involved shootings over the course of his career. He also held other commendations for valor in his work both in and outside of the department. Former MPD officer Derek Chauvin faces a maximum of 40 years in prison if convicted on all charges. The other three officers were not arrested until June 3, 2020, nearly nine full days after George Floyd took his last breath on the corner of East 38th Street and Chicago Avenue. Officer Tu Tao, who stood guard between the other three officers kneeling atop George Floyd, and the growing crowd of witnesses demanding intervention was charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder unintentional while committing a felony and aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. The charges carry a maximum allowable sentence of 40 years in prison. Like Chauvin, Tao had amassed some six complaints alleging excessive force or misconduct, but all six were dismissed by the department without discipline. In 2017, Tao was sued by Lamar Ferguson after he allegedly physically assaulted the man during an arrest after he was already properly restrained. The Minneapolis Police Department eventually settled that case out of court for $25,000. Tao is currently being held on a $750,000 bail with conditions. Officers Thomas Lane and Jay Alexander King, the other two men who knelt atop George Floyd as he lay gasping for air for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, were also charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder unintentional while committing a felony, in addition to aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. Like Tao and Chauvin, the charges carry a maximum allowable sentence of 40 years in prison if convicted. In a shocking revelation in the days immediately following their arrest, it was revealed that both King and Lane were rookies. It was literally Officer King's third full day on the job and Officer Lane's fourth. Early comments from both men's attorneys paint a picture of newly appointed yet concerned officers, both of whom allegedly expressed aloud their concern over Floyd's ability to breathe and the position in which they had him pinned, but that both men felt obligated to follow instructions from the most senior training officer on the scene, Derek Chauvin. They were both held on a $750,000 bail with conditions, though former officer Thomas Lane has already posted and has since been released. The official autopsy conducted by the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office listed George Floyd's cause of death as cardiopulmonary arrest complicating law enforcement subdual, restraint, and neck compression. It essentially stated that he suffered heart failure during his arrest. After the results were presented, the Floyd family hired an independent examiner to conduct a second autopsy. Their finding in his cause of death asphyxiation from sustained pressure. Both reports also reveal multiple areas of blunt force trauma on George Floyd's body, including his upper lip, face, head, shoulders, hands, and elbows, in addition to bruising on his wrist from where he was handcuffed. The Floyd family also released the full report to the media, which confirmed that he had previously tested positive for the novel coronavirus nearly two months before on April 3rd, and that his experience with the virus was, quote, asymptomatic but persistent positivity from previous infection. The report also disclosed evidence of heart disease and hypertension, in addition to the presence of cannabinoids, fentanyl, and methamphetamines in his blood. By now, most everyone around the world has already seen the unforgettable images thousands of times. The images of George Floyd's last moments alive, 
gasping for air beneath former MPD officer Derek Chauvin's knee. The images of peaceful protests quickly devolving into vandalism, mass looting, and rioting. The images of Minneapolis police abandoning the 3rd Precinct, the building eventually being taken over by people rioting and set ablaze. A symbolic gesture of war after decades of largely unproductive and ignored peaceful protests. The images of nearly 11,000 Minnesota National Guard troops deployed to Minneapolis streets to restore order. The images of mandatory curfews and police firing tear gas and rubber bullets at times indiscriminately at peaceful protesters, the media, and people causing chaos and destruction alike. The images of a semi-truck filled with flammable fuel barreling into a crowd of peaceful protesters on Interstate 35. The images of Minneapolis city officials banning chokeholds and neck restraints, and the city council promoting intentions to defund the Minneapolis Police Department. Images of a city and now an entire country that has long been quietly divided, and many of her people secretly suffering, now openly bleeding into the divisive streets. George Floyd was a human being, a common man, full of flaws but filled with hope. He wasn't perfect. He surely made his mistakes, but he also paid the price for those mistakes and was trying to set a better example by leading a better life. We don't yet know if George Floyd had intentionally passed a counterfeit $20 bill to Cup Foods in exchange for a pack of cigarettes, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because no man, woman, or child ever deserves to lose their life over $20, period. It is really that simple. The world knows him as George, but I called him Perry. Yesterday we laid him to rest. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I'm the big brother now, so it's my job to comfort my brothers and my sisters, Perry's kids, and everyone who loved him. And that's a lot of people. I have to be the strong one now because George is gone. And me being the big brother now is why I'm here today, to do what? Perry always would have done, would have done. To take care of the family and others. I couldn't take care of George that day he was killed, but maybe by speaking with you today, I can make sure that his death would not be in vain. To make sure that he is more than another face on a t-shirt, more than another name on a list that won't stop growing. George always made sacrifices for our family, and he made sacrifices for complete strangers. He gave the little that he had to help others. He was our gentle giant. I was reminded of that when I watched the video of his murder. He called all the officers, sir. He was mild-mannered. He didn't fight back. He listened to all the officers. The man who took his life, who suffocated him for eight minutes and 46 seconds, he still called them sir as he begged for his life. I can't tell you the kind of pain you feel when you watch something like that. When you watch your big brother, who you looked up to your whole entire life, die, die begging for his mom. I'm tired, I'm tired of pain, I'm here to ask you to make it stop. Stop the pain. Stop us from being tired. George called for help and he was ignored. Please listen to the call I'm making to you now. To the calls of our family and the calls ringing out the streets across the world. People of all backgrounds, genders and races have come together to demand change. Honor them. Honor George and make the necessary changes that make law enforcement the solution and not the problem. Hold them accountable when they do something wrong. Teach them what it means to treat people with empathy and respect. Teach them 
what necessary force is. Teach them that deadly force should be used rarely and only when life is at risk. George wasn't hurting anyone that day. He didn't deserve to die over $20. I'm asking you, is that what a, is that what a black man is worth? $20? This is 2020. Enough is enough. The people marching in the streets are telling you enough is enough. By the leaders, that in our country, the world needs the right thing. The people elected you to speak for them, to make positive change. George's name means something. You have the opportunity here today to make your names mean something too. If his death ends up changing the world for the better, and I think it will, then he died as he lived. It is on you to make sure his death is not in vain. I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to Perry while he was here. I was robbed of that. But I, but I know he's looking down at us now. Perry, look up at what you did, big brother. You changed the world. Thank you for everything, for taking care of us on earth, for taking care of us now. I hope you found mama and you can rest in peace with power. Thank you.